Vibrations podcast, part 16, Paul Jackson. Hi, I'm Gary Brightman, and this is my weekly podcast called Vibrations. Established in 2018, Vibe is a book and music shop situated in Moi Wo on Lantau Island in Hong Kong. So what's been happening over the past week? Well, for the past 18 months, we've had a nice plant outside the shop, but recently it died. Or was it poisoned? Anyway, a week later the dead plant went missing. Prime suspects were cows or water buffalo. Then, a few days later, the nice large pot that it was in disappeared. And now I suspect foul play. No, not birdlers. But a human has stolen our vibe plant pot, put there to cheer up passers-by. And so, the mean streets of Moiwo just got meaner. It's a new year, and so I've been sorting out the shop and trying to give it a fresher look. Although, I'm not sure if a book and music shop is supposed to look fresh, as some of the best ones I've been to look more like gothic haunted houses. Anyway, as usual, you'll be the judge. A reminder that thanks to Peter, our resident magician, we sell all kinds of tarot decks and runes. Yes, he's conjured up a new stock already. Boom shaka! And so to this week's interview. We continue with my colonial ex-policeman. And this week it's Paul Jacko Jackson who's being brought to book. Paul was born in Malta and spent an early childhood there and also in Germany before his parents decided to return to their roots in northern England. He still blames them for his love of Barnsley Football Club, the nearest team, which he can't seem to shake. Qualified in electronic engineering and telecommunications, upon graduation from Liverpool University in 1988, Paul naturally decided to seek a career in the Royal Hong Kong Police. There was just something about the uniform, and thus began a lifetime of adventures. One of Paul's early postings was as an inspector in charge of Taiyo Police Station. Like most who have served there, it turned out to be the most memorable time in his career. More on that later. He also had the honour of being the last inspector to officially live in Taiyo Police Station, which is now the Heritage Hotel. Taiyo was the only place where Paul needed to open fire. Three shots! Bang! 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 Three kills! Hmm. More on that later. The rest of Paul's early police career was spent on marine police boats dealing with smugglers, illegal immigrants and Vietnamese refugees. Mostly working for... Yeah, you guessed it. Les Bird. Two weeks ago? Were you listening? Les Bird? Hello? Do you ever listen to my podcasts? Is anybody out there? In the mid-90s, the world started changing as technology came to the fore. Paul's engineering background suddenly became highly relevant, and he was pulled into technology-related policing, and this proved to be a turning point. From there on, he helped found the police's technology crime investigation capability and supported many major investigations where the technical components proved pivotal. In 2010, it was time for a change, and the lure of the dark side proved too much. Paul moved to JP Morgan and was quickly promoted to run cyber investigations. Unfortunately, this meant leaving Hong Kong for a while to live in New York, but the experiences there were immense. It also set him up for the current phase in his career, once he had escaped from America, to return to Hong Kong. Paul now lives back on Lantau in Cheng Sa, and he is proud to lead Kroll's Asia-Pacific cyber risk practice. Paul has been a keen rugby and football player during his time in Hong Kong. 
and holds the proud record of being the last successful Old Bill captain ever. These days he prefers golf and can sometimes be seen running along Lantau's many trails or out in his kayak off the coast of Poyo and Chengsa. That is, when he's not in Vibe Bookshop. Welcome to Vibe, Jacko. Well, thank you very much for having me, Gary. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure as always. Okay, so as we do, we're going to start off with um, 10 quickfire questions, but not necessarily quickfire answers. First question, favourite book or author? Right, so I'm an avid reader, as you know from yeah. our discussions, and hence why I love being in your bookshop. Mm. But um, what I found in, in recent years is that I've, uh, I really enjoy books that kind of make you think. Right, and okay. uh, I, I, I guess this started when I, I stumbled across the book Freakonomics. Ah, Back yes. in, I, I guess, in the mid-2000s, about 2005, I think it came out. And I read that and I thought, you know what? I don't agree with everything that he said, but it makes you think. It, right. it looks at things from a different point of view. And I kind of related that to the, the work I did in the police at the time. Okay. And, uh, you know, it made me sort of realise that there's always more than one way of looking at things. Yeah. And after that, I gravitated on books by Malcolm Gladwell. Favourite musical artist? Well, it has to be uh, R.E.M. Um, mm. Now, <laughs> sorry about that, but they're, they're a band that's defined my life. You yeah. know, I grew up with them. The only downside is that I, I missed the Hong Kong concert. So they came, they played one time in Hong Kong on February the 5th, 1995, which okay. was the day after my son was born. My, my ah. first child was born and he was born very prematurely. Right. So I got front row seats no. to, in the Queen Elizabeth Stadium to see no. R.E.M. And my son arrived uh, very, very prematurely. In fact, at the time, he was the record holder for the smallest surviving baby in Hong wow. Kong, born uh, at just uh, 24 weeks, one okay. pound. And, um, yeah, obviously I couldn't uh, dash yeah. off to a concert when he was in intensive care. So. But I'm sure you've never forgiven him since, and you I make him aware of that. <laughs> I certainly let him know about that. <laughs> what is your favourite drink? San Miguel. Look, I was brought up on it here in Hong Kong. Yeah. Do you have some sort of life motto? Yeah, I do, and it kind of relates to my favourite kind of reading mm. material, uh, and that is basically uh, open your mind before you open your mouth. Do you have a favourite Hong Kong walk? I mean, look, I'm a Lantau dweller, Lantau lover, so it has to be on Lantau, but I, I'm a big fan of the Shek Pik, uh, the walk from Shek Pik Prison, um, the reservoir there, round oh. to Tayo via Fan Lao. I just think the diversity of scenery there. Yes. You know, you've yes. got the coastal cliffs, then you pass the uh, the rather underwhelming fort. Fan yeah, Lao. Fan Lao port, fort, uh, yeah. And yeah. if you've got the energy, there's the the view out over the lighthouse. That's yes. right, right at the yeah. uh, westernmost tip there. Yeah. And then coming back, you pass through the um, the organic farms uh, yeah. that have been built at Yeo, obviously ending up in beautiful Tayo. Favourite Hong Kong restaurant? Yeah, so I have a couple here. So when I'm in town, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a steak lover. So mm. uh, right. I, I tend to gravitate back to the La Pampa up on the, in um, Soho, yeah. up the okay. escalator there, and yeah. uh, the Argentinian Steakhouse. Friendly. Right. Always have a good chat with the uh, uh, the manager there. Yeah. Um, but having said that, uh, Tayo, obviously, come back yes. to Tayo because I yeah. go there a lot. Yeah. Uh, living on the island, and and you can't beat Wong Wah Tea House. With okay. The best dim sum on the island. Right. And uh, yep. fabulous little corner shop there along yes. the uh, Wing On Street, the main street. Faced with a python whilst walking up to the peak, what would you do? All right, so I would run because I have a real snake phobia. I hate snakes. And what's the best advice you were given? So I went to university in Liverpool and uh, okay. I, I was sat in the pub one lunchtime and I'd already applied to join the Merseyside police and my friends knew this. 
And yeah. one of my friends walked in the pub uh, one lunchtime um, near to graduation, and he plonked down a copy of the Daily Telegraph okay. on the table in front of me, and he said, Oi, Jacko, you want to be a pig? Why don't you join the Royal Hong Kong Police? <laughs> Finish this sentence. I live in Hong Kong because... Well, I have to say it's because it's an adventure, right? Yeah. And, and I, I've always felt life should be an adventure, and you can't get, you, you, you can't do better than, uh, you know, being in Hong Kong. Yeah. It's the centre of, uh, well, there's so much going on here for starters, and you're in the centre of Asia where there's, yep. you know, uh, life is just an amazing adventure, and I've just been privileged to live here. Favourite area of Hong Kong? Uh, well, I, I think I'm following Les here, probably uh, in saying yeah. that Tayo. It, okay. you know, it, it holds a special place in my heart because it, it was just I, I was so young when I was posted there so much happened there okay. and it, it just it, it sticks in your memory, it's so unique in, in Hong Kong right? and it, it really has a special place. Say A close second though because I'm a tech guy, is Sham Shui Po and, okay. um, you right. know, I, I could spend well the whole day literally yeah. walking around the shops and the computer malls and yeah. the electronic stores You came to Hong Kong in 1988 and your first posting was indeed Tai-O, wasn't it? That's almost correct. Okay. So um, when I was at training school, um, which is nine months long, it's quite an in course, yeah. know, intensive training. Um, you, when you come to the end, you have a kind of wish list of places right. that you can be posted to. It, it doesn't actually mean anything. You can yeah. randomly be posted to any uniform yeah. branch within the police force. Right. So um, I, I was. I considered myself lucky. I ended up getting posted to the Marine Police. So unlike in other countries, the Marine Police here is is like the Coast Guard. So it's not separate, it's part of the police yeah. force. And uh, it, what an adventure it turned out to be, you know. <laughs> At that time, as you know, as you heard from Les, there was a lot of smuggling going on. Yeah. Um, there was still Vietnamese uh, refugees coming over. Yeah. Uh, the second wave was still coming over in the late 80s. Right. And we had all the camps set up, which were managed by Marine. And yeah. there was, it was just so much going on. And yet, you got to see parts of Hong Kong that your average Hong Konger has never seen. The boats go out to all the remote places, all yeah. the remote islands, the remote coastline. Yeah. And you really get a feel for Hong Kong. So, uh, as my first posting, it really gave me a solid understanding of Hong Kong. Yeah, uh, the geography of the, the place, geography. from sort of Sai Kung to Correct. Lantau and, and across to Tolo Channel and all that sort of thing. That's exactly right. And, and But yeah. very soon after I joined the Marine Police, I, was, um, uh, I saw the posting come up in Tai Right. And I'd, uh, by chance, I'd been over there just for a walk and a hike um, okay. um, a few weeks before that posting came promulgated uh, on the old, um, you know, the police uh, paper yeah. <laughs> system. Okay. Paper yeah, yeah, yeah. Notice boards, Notice I guess, boards. was it then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And um, and you know what? I thought, wow, what an opportunity. I got 23 at the time or something, 24, maybe 23. Yeah. And uh, I, I stuck my hand up, you know, to yeah, be yeah. in charge of half of Lantau Island and running Taiwo Police Station. Wow. And luckily, I, I, I got it. I don't think anybody else applied, to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I ended up in Tayo. And uh, as it turned out, I was the last uh, inspector in charge of Tayo to actually live in the station. So at oh, the time, okay. you know, and, and Les obviously spoke about living in the station. Um, yeah. Because um, the accommodation for the officer, because it's so far from the island, you couldn't live on, say, Hong Kong Island and yeah. commute every day to work because the travel was so far. Yes. Yeah. So you had to actually live in the police station. Yeah. But so I was the last one to actually uh, call it a home. Wow. And, yeah. Uh, quite proud of that. Little. Did you find it a lonely existence being there, or? That's a really good question because I often get asked that. You know, why would you want to live out in the yeah. extremes of Hong Kong? You know, when you're a young young man, you know, and uh, yeah. and there's so much going on in town. But actually, I didn't. It was 
there's such a vibrant community and you're made to feel so welcome as the police officer in yeah. charge you're it's really uh, top-notch community policing yes and just yeah. like anybody who's worked in Tyre will tell you you're made to feel very welcome there's yeah. plenty of socializing with the villagers plenty yeah. of food good food and drink yeah plus um, there was a Royal Navy coastal watching station just okay. above Tayo police station which is right. now the Heritage Host yes. Hotel. So anybody who visits the um, the Heritage Hotel can see some steps going up the hill, which is fenced off because it says military. I know uh, it. Yes. Installation. Yeah. Uh, and it used to be run by the Royal Navy. Okay. And they used to have four guys who would fly in by helicopter every Monday, <laughs> and they would spend a week sat wow. up there, basically taking photos of any Chinese military vessel they could see coming in and out of the Pearl Estuary. <laughs> that was their job. Great, wow, great yeah, life. Yeah, so four yeah. guys up there. So <laughs> they were smart and they would divide their time. So one guy would spend 24 hours basically watching and holding the camera and, yeah. and on the lookout. Mm. And the other three would just go off around the island yeah, and yeah. enjoy themselves. Yeah. And, and so they worked one week on, one week off, and then they had yeah. one day or possibly two days a week of work while they were actually there so quite yeah. the life but yeah. they were good guys and and they used to fly in um you know food and uh, barbecue food and and yeah. from the old british naffy uh, <laughs> supermarket and beer and and we'd have barbecues up there from time to time they'd come down Brilliant. the hill and we'd have a football team where we played against the villagers yeah we joined with the the lee brothers who make the shrimp paste you know that oh, they yes. put out to dry so yeah they, they they were part of our football team wow. and uh, a guy called Fajai Gum, the, the barber, the village barber, <laughs> which uh, at that time I still needed. I still had hair. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah we, we uh, had a great football team and we played against the villagers. Brilliant. So it was it was kind of a nice community. Yeah, theater. it's good to hear that the relationship, and I've heard this from a number of people now, between the Lantau dwellers and the police was quite a strong relationship. And I, as I understand, you guys would be responsible for walking the mountain pass and and connecting with local communities there and you were always well respected and welcomed into the community is that right very much so and um, sometimes these walks could be quite hazardous because you we'd be get so welcomed at these little villages they'd often yeah. bring out the XO <laughs> and uh, a few glasses of brandy later and yeah. um, and the walks back might become a bit more hazardous we also had the Vietnamese I mean I remember one time just uh, after work it was about 5:30, and I was sat enjoying a, uh, a post-work drink on yeah. the on the veranda overlooking the Tayo yeah. Bay yeah and we saw a a ramshackle boat come sailing in and I was just watching it and then suddenly we all jumped up because we realised it was a Vietnamese boat overloaded <laughs> and we had to scarper down to the village before they got off and ran uh, ran away but yeah lots lots of funny moments like yeah that. yeah in your bio that I read out at the start you mentioned firing three shots and making three killings bit worried about that Jacko yes so um yes this was um Part of my duty in uh, as the uh, Lantau uh, or Tayo inspector yeah. uh, was that we were responsible for opening fire where necessary right. to euthanize um, cows, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which had been hit by buses or other vehicles on the road ah. or were, were critically injured. Because at the yeah. time there was no vet on Lantau, okay. so we were responsible for putting them down. Right. Um, so right. We, we, we had to ring up the vet in town. And we had to describe the injuries, and yes. they would say, yeah, green light, um, put the cow down. So we oh had shotguns and rifled slugs. And we oh. actually had to do a range course on this in the, uh, in the police training school, oh. where instead of cardboard cutouts of bad guys, silhouettes of bad guys, believe it or not, they had silhouettes of cows. And we had to draw an imaginary line between the ears and the eyes 
uh, diagonally yeah. and where the intersection imaginary line was you'd aim for in the middle of the forehead yeah and that to do it in the most humane most way humane, possible quick manner yeah and yeah I mean obviously it worked uh, yeah, I yeah. had to open fire three times and each wow. time was, was successful it's not a nice job so that was the uh, the, the only times I opened fire yeah. uh, outside of ranges in, in my police career so three shots really three so in that whole time they were the only three times you opened fire that's right. Yeah, and Hong Kong is a really safe place, as you know. Yeah. So it's, it's really rare for a police officer to have opened fire. Yeah. I came closer uh, uh, once, which was well, worrying. It was front page news in the South China. That was moving forward to, I think, 1995 or 96, yeah. uh, around uh, not long before the handover. Yeah. And I was out working under Les, actually, at that time, back on the boats in Marine East, which is off Sai Kung. We had a report that a, a barge loaded with a stolen Mercedes was being towed out of Hong Kong waters. Okay. So we sped towards the scene. And as we came to the scene, we realized that there was a, um, a Chinese military vessel alongside this, uh, basically at gunpoint, were holding the crew and forcing them to go towards China, still in Hong Kong waters at the time. Yeah. So I radioed this in and I said, here's the situation, right? And <laughs> um, uh, the response came back from headquarters was to forcibly board and, you know, take over the, uh, the vessel. Situation. And I thought, whoa, okay. Um, so um, <laughs> we were in a large boat, a marine boat. So I had to do a, a full 360 to come round to be in a position to go alongside. And so we did the full t uh, uh, turn round. Meanwhile, the Chinese officers on the boat were holding their guns in a right. pointing them at us. Yeah. So no longer trained on the die fi No, they were now trained on you on on the boat. So as I came round, um, I was radioing this in, and they said, well, you know, continue. So I got all the guns out of the boat in the armory. We got the bulletproof vests on, everything, uh, and um, ready to uh, uh, come alongside and board. And we were literally about two minutes away from doing this when suddenly I, I call on the radio, stand down, stand down, uh, back <laughs> off. Because I think what had happened was the duty controller in, in the Marine headquarters at the time yeah. had obviously pushed this up the chain. It had gone right up to Government House, to the, wow. to the governor at the time. And um, we got told... No, that would be a major diplomatic Mate. incident, obviously, yes. and stand down. But it came that close. But it was on the you know the front pages of the uh, South China for a while. This incident, uh, the Royal Navy were very upset that they weren't called in and uh, yeah. and, and and called to help deal with it as well. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, uh, we just stood off and watched them. And eventually, they left Hong Kong waters. Nothing more we could do. So, um, yeah, that was that was um, an interesting moment. So, was that normal for the Chinese PLA? Forces no. to be in Hong Kong waters. They no incursions into Hong Kong waters were rare, and they were frowned upon. Of course, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so um, this was a rare uh, incident, okay. and uh, yeah, it certainly caused a lot of fuss. And what happened to the die fi in the meantime? Did that speed off and get over the? <laughs> no, no, they they stayed with the barge. Okay, uh, and yeah. um, uh, and carried on pulling this Mercedes uh, across into Chinese waters. Goodness knows what happened after that. Your 1988, that first few years here, what did you do from there? What what was your next role? Right. So uh, stepping back a little bit, when I was at university, I did okay. engineering. So I did electronics and telecommunications at Liverpool University, and so I always had a technical background. Right. But the reality was, I'm I'm a real outdoor person. I'm a you know sort of rugby guy and outdoor yeah. person. And th at that time, being an engineer didn't appeal to me. You know, sat in the confines of a small office. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. Uh, and policing, had, for whatever reason, I, had always appealed to me, and I wanted to join the Merseyside Police until that. Uh, that fateful day when, uh, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I heard about the Hong Kong police. Um, 
Now, when I joined the Hong Kong Police, I, obviously being a Marine was fantastic, you know, chasing smugglers, yeah. the outdoor life. It, yeah. was, it, it was, you know, Miami Vice. It was <laughs> every young, young male's dream, right? Yeah. And being yeah. out here in Hong Kong. And um, we, uh, you know, I, I did this for seven years and I spent many of those years working for Les, who right. was a fabulous boss, you know, and uh, yes. he, it was, it, they were really, one of the, one of the funniest stories, I, uh, uh, Les probably won't thank me for telling you this, but um, <laughs> it was, we, we had, a, it was, must have been a 94 or something like that. We were in Marine North, which is near Taipo, uh, north of Sha Tin, between right. Sha Tin and Taipo. And we were in the divisional headquarters and we had a, a, a visit from the mainland, um, our equivalent, in the mainland Marine, okay. Marine Police came yeah. over on a liaison visit so yeah. they came in and what they brought with them was this huge boat ornate boat um, uh, about two foot two to three foot long <laughs> and about two foot high made of shells these tortoise colored <laughs> shells you right, know, okay. really ornate and beautiful yeah and um, as a gift as a gift and from was, their marine to your yeah, marine and it was really nice so um you know it was put in the mess and um mm. and and they disappeared later in the evening and yeah. uh, and and we carried on having a, a couple of um Shandies, san miguel's, uh, san miguel's <laughs> maybe. and um later in the evening for some whatever reason we we it was decided we'd see whether it would float and whether it could be launched so it was sat, sat on the ferry pier and ceremonially launched yeah at which point of course it disappeared <laughs> underwater in the hogging <laughs> never to be seen again uh, which was all well and good and uh, we thought oh well but then uh, about a month later we had a return yeah. visit uh, they, they they scheduled a return visit and of course this created panic because you know where was the boat where was the boat they presented yeah, to us yeah. which should be in pride of place in our in our mess so les sent um, one of the junior um, uh, guys up to china to yeah. buy another one <laughs> The Good. trouble is, he managed to find one, but it was about a quarter the size of the original. And you could see when these guys arrived, they kept staring at it, thinking, how did it shrink? And, uh, yeah, it caused a great deal of amusement. Nothing was said. That's and, hilarious. And the, 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 the evening passed by without further incident, but they must have wondered. That's the thing of sitcoms, isn't it, really? Is That's it? brilliant. It is. But, but Les, in his usual manner, handled it with, handled with it a well. plum. Yeah, yeah. But things, uh, you know, changed in the mid-90s, and the Intelligence Bureau, uh, Criminal Intelligence Bureau, were looking for somebody who, with a technical background, who could deal with the telecoms companies. So in Hong Kong in, in mid-90s, six new licenses were granted to the mobile phone market right. and um, six new companies were formed. Prior to that, it was a monopoly with Hong Kong Telecom. Right. And so suddenly we had six new companies and somebody needed to negotiate with them and, and talk mm. to them about how to get records off them for criminal investigations, etc., okay. and understand the technicalities of cell site analysis, etc. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I was asked because they knew my background and I yeah. thought, you know what, time for a, a change. Yeah, and uh, I, I I moved there, and and that really changed my life because from then on I became yeah. involved in technology investigations and policing okay. for the rest of my career. But they were fantastic times. It was it was like shooting fish in a barrel initially because a lot of the um, the triads etc. the the, the yeah. organised crime groups the bosses wanted the latest and greatest. Yeah, and so they had these big you know you remember the old mobile phones yes. that were chunky mobile phones. About like the BT bricks or whatever. That's those. right. And yeah. they wanted them to look flash. Uh, yes, but they didn't realise they were tracing devices as well they were tracking it was like a you know an ankle bracelet yeah, yeah yeah they were being tracked so it was we could we could watch their movements we knew exactly where they <laughs> glowing were glowing around the city uh, so it was fabulous you know they, they we were able to tie them to crimes until they twigged on that they they were they were um they were tracking devices but for a glorious year or two they were it was a That's fantastic amazing. policing yeah uh, tool 
Um, but yeah, from there I moved, uh, you know, into the technology policing because then I, I, I reinvigorated my interest in computers and, and yeah. started learning about forensics in the late 90s when this was a nascent subject. Yeah, um, really, you know, getting digital evidence off computers, yeah. etc. Learning about hacking and yeah. how to counter this. And I stayed in there ever since. We we founded the Technology Crime Division in 2001 within the Hong Kong Police, okay. and uh, I became a leader within there. Right. I ran and developed the forensics. I worked with Interpol to deliver training courses all around the world, um, okay. and um, collaborated with universities in developing programs, as well as building the Hong Kong Police College right. training materials as well. So I was really busy during, yeah. the, uh, during this uh, decade, the yeah. first decade of the century. And um, you know, it, it, I just found a passion for it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. loved loved doing what I did, uh, and that brought me up until um, 2010 when I left the police. Right. Right. Okay. At this point, I felt that I had a glass ceiling because in the police I couldn't go any higher and really stay in technology. So I was about to get promoted. I was on the uh, reserve lift for promotion, and okay. um, if I did get promoted, I would probably have moved into a station as a admin superintendent in charge of admin or something right right um, and out of technology crime policing which I yeah didn't want so uh, luckily I got an offer from JP Morgan and I moved to uh, JP okay. Morgan in 2010 right okay my initial task yeah. there was to build up their forensic capability in APAC region but luckily yeah. when I was doing that I got noticed and they quickly promoted me and asked me to run the global wow. cyber investigation team okay. and move to New York now that was a difficult one because I had to leave Hong Kong for a little while. But yeah. At the time I was what 24, 23 years uh, into in my time in Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe a change will do me good. Yeah. Yeah. But I tell you what it back. did do for me was it reinvigorated my love of Hong Kong because I realized the grass wasn't greener on the other side. Yeah. Well, it kind of was greener. Yeah, but, yeah, to start with. But um, yeah. it, it it really um you know, it just wasn't an adventure anymore. Yeah, yeah, and, very and different. And I missed the adventures out in Asia. So yeah. although I had a brilliant time with JP Morgan in New York and we, my team that I built there handled the world's biggest ever bank breach. Wow, um, okay. in, in 2014, um, yep. which is a, a real feather in my cap. You know, yes. it, it's, yeah. um, in the, you know, you couldn't buy the experience and a lot of other stories that I can't tell, unfortunately. Yes, um, yeah. Otherwise I'd probably be sued. Yes, um, yeah. But the, it was just, Amazing being in the mothership of uh, of the biggest bank in the world, really, and, yeah. and uh, all the wheelings and dealings and the investigations that I had to undertake. Right. But certainly, of all the investigations, um, that one stands out. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of memorable ones in the Hong Kong police as well. I uh, bet. Yeah. For, for many of the those um, listening uh, that have been here a long time, they may remember the Edison Chen. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, scandal. I yep. should say. So I was in the thick of that one as the uh, forensic uh, uh, lead on that one. In other okay. words, trying to understand how his. Um, just go a little bit back and just tell the listeners, Edison Chan, what was the basic premise of the crime there? Yeah, so Edison Chen was a an up, up and coming um, canto pop star, come actor, yep. you know, uh, um, celebrity, really. Yep. And he. Um, well, how to put this? He he had a yeah. lot of girlfriends who were also celebrities, <laughs> and he had a um, a tendency to video and right. take photos yep. of them in um, in flagrante. Was that's it? That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know what happened was he took his Mac um, book to be repaired at a repair shop, and that's it had a load of these photographs on it. Yes. and the guy in the repair shop saw them. Yeah. and copied a bunch off onto a CD, uh, burnt them onto a CD. Right. 
However, he sat on them for a little while. He didn't actually do much except possibly, you know, you can speculate he showed them to friends or whatever. Yeah. But eventually he, he made a copy and gave them to somebody else and they started to uh, spread Proliferate out. around, yeah. And one morning there was a story in the newspaper, you know, that showed uh, uh, two or three of these photographs, obviously yeah. censored, yeah. On, on the, in the newspaper, and uh, a story about these leaked photos. Yeah. Um, my boss at the time came came down to me and said, "Hey, Paul, these have got to be fakes. These can't be real. Can you uh, examine them and see if they are real or fake?" Yeah. So I thought my first thought was, "Yeah, it's, it's it's photoshopped." Yeah. Okay. Then I started to do some spectral analysis on the photos, and yeah. realised that they were genuine photos. Okay. And after about an hour or two of studying them, I went up to the boss and knocked on his door and said, "Look, I think we've got a problem here. I think these are all genuine, and I think this is going to create a huge stir in the in the community. Right. And there's going to be outcry. Yes. This. And indeed, there was. It was a massive, massive story, front page for months, and as this went on. Yeah. And what year are we roughly? I think this was about 2006, if I remember okay. correctly, 2007 yeah. maybe. Um, all right. Um, so 13 odd years ago. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, it was just you know up until that point. You know, everyone thought that the uh, Canto Pop or the the um, uh, the film industry here was yeah. kind of very untouchable. Yeah, or whatever. it was sugar yeah. wouldn't melt in the mouth. They're up on a pedestal, and yeah, you can't shoot right. them. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these celebrities were shown in very um, revealing different photos. Light. And it was there were there were a lot, and and wow. some of them were real stars of the uh, really uh, so, uh, yeah. the scene at the time. Some of these ladies, so um, it was a real challenge to unravel this one. Whether he'd revealed them deliberately, who had revealed them, whether you know, yes. um, whether some of the girls in there were underage, right, you know, all, right. all sorts of angles to look at yeah, in, yeah. in the in the investigation. It just dragged on, and it captured the. Um, the attention of the Hong Kong public. Yeah, and the imagination, I guess, yeah. as well. So, yeah. you know, with being a police officer, my phone number was in the book and uh, uh, in public, and it, my phone was just ringing off the hook, you know, <laughs> the journalists ringing up, who are the other girls, who are the other ladies? Cause yeah. there was a lot of uh, photos that weren't leaked. Right. And to this day, hopefully, the names and the identities of those in them haven't, yeah, haven't um, been leaked and yeah, been uh, safely stayed that way. But it yeah. was a stressful time for me because if there were any other subsequent leaks, a finger would be pointed at the police. Did the leaks come from the police? Yeah, so I had to keep them territory. under lock and key and, um, yeah. and make sure that the tight controls were kept over yeah. while we analysed everything. Yeah. But uh, interesting times. But prior to that, actually, there was another interesting case: the Nancy Kissel uh, murder, Robert Kissel. Yeah. So the, the banker um, milkshake murder. Uh, that's right, the milkshake yes, murder. Yeah, yes. so he was the elite banker with Merrill Lynch yeah. at the time, and uh, uh, she killed him, um, whacked him over the head with a blunt ornament, yeah. rolled his body into a carpet, yeah. had some coolies take away the uh, carpet, the rug, yeah. uh, into a storage. Yeah. yeah, It was like an old black and white movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the real thing was uh, getting the evidence to support the murder um, uh, prosecution was about getting the mens rea, in other words, the guilty mindset. Yes. Um, so yes. it could have been a crime of passion, you know, a fight yeah. and, uh, you know, a yeah, manslaughter. one off, yeah. But here's where the computer evidence came in, because uh, for those who followed the story, they'll know that um, uh, he knew that she was having an affair with, a, like, a TV repairman back in the US. That's right. And he'd hired yes. a private detective, and all these communications came out in the analysis of the computer. Yeah. And um, she found out that he'd hired the private detective. We could see that. And okay. so she knew that he knew. Yeah. And then she started searching for date rape drug, rehypnol. And right. um, ultimately, of course, that was what she um, used started in the milkshake to, yeah. uh, to, to yeah. um, stupefy him before yeah. 
killing him. Yeah. And yeah. so therefore the mindset, the guilty mindset all came out and yes. it all came out through the computer evidence and the uh, and and what was in emails etc. Wow. And that was in 2003. So that was the first real big case murder case that relied Yeah. You know, almost entirely on the computer evidence to develop yeah. the uh, the mindset. Yeah, and it, it also helped me to get more resources because then the bosses saw the importance of computer evidence, etc. Yeah. So yeah. we were able to build the lab, um, right, more based on the 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 evidence. Yeah, I mean, even I remember the early days of, you know, emails were not admissible evidence in court. So that obviously flipped, and it put, probably would have been around that time at the turn of the new millennium. Yes, that suddenly email could then be admissible as of court um. that's absolutely right and uh, you know the you have to prove to the court that nothing has been altered yeah you know there's special yeah. steps that have to be taken to preserve the evidence yes. such that you know you can't dispute the authenticity yeah of yeah. the evidence and it really is a um, uh, quite a painstaking process to yeah. do forensic review but right. uh, you know it's like a puzzle almost you know you're trying to tell a story yeah out of the artifacts on a computer what activity took place on a computer yeah and it really does uh, um, you know because we spend all our lives especially nowadays with smartphones oh, yeah. and computers yeah. you can you could tell anybody's life yeah. just from examining yeah. the devices they use our digital footprints are enormous really that's, that's right. the worry isn't it these days very much so yeah so yeah. Um, you know these 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 kind of cases were real you know sort of early yeah. trendsetters if you like yeah. for, for setting standards and for um, for a real shift in mindset in law enforcement about the value of uh, of technology yeah, um, yeah. versus sort of traditional approaches. Yeah, you can run, but you can no longer hide, basically. That's right. Or it's very hard to hide. Okay, so there are two very major I I cases, really. The That's Edison right. Chan and the Nancy Kissel. Yeah, front page news for Yeah, for, seriously. For and to be involved on the forensic side of those cases, brilliant. Very much so. You yeah. know, it's fascinating. And, and there's a lot that didn't really come out, you know, because yeah. obviously you see pretty much everything and you get to understand their lives yeah. and, and everything. So, like, for example, a film has been made and books have been written about the Kissel murder. Yes. Uh, um, um, uh, Never Enough, I think, is the name of the book. Uh, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, because it details about his family and about the, the wealth and uh, really? other, yeah. other issues. The privilege that go on and, or whatever. And the privilege, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, you know, knowing the full backstory, the truth, yeah, because obviously the books are slightly, um, yeah, glamorized or whatever, yes, yes fictionalized, you, yeah, and yeah. Um, it, it, it's fascinating to know the full backstory, yeah. Anything else you want to cover? Yeah, so obviously, you know, I came a full circle, and as you yeah. know, you know, I moved back to Hong Kong um, and took up consulting, so I now work with a company called Kroll, and and I yeah. do pretty much the same as I did in law enforcement really we invest investigate yeah. cyber data breaches yeah we um, you know we get some fascinating cases unfortunately I can't really talk about them because they're no. confidential reputational but, <laughs> yes exactly uh, but you know as a company we deal with more than two and a half thousand incidents every year so we see right. a huge amount of cyber crime and cases that go on so it's, yeah it's really a fascinating world but I made the decision uh, nearly three years ago to move back come a full circle back yeah. to the island because as part of my role I was traveling so much yeah almost yes. every week yeah and what I realized was Chung Sa where I live now yeah is um, 20 minutes away from the airport yes you live yeah. in a beautiful area right by the beach and yet you're 
20 minutes away from the airport it for the travel. Be better, yeah. But travel is a bit of a thing of the past now, isn't it? So after moving there, and, yeah. and that's where I got to know you a lot better because obviously yeah. I was constantly on the road and didn't have as much time, but now I, I, I'm here all the time and uh, come to your local to come down shop. to the local vibe and uh, <laughs> that's spend right. a bit of time with Gaz. Yeah, good man, good man, yes. Uh, okay, so that just remains for me to say, Paul Jackson, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me. You can listen to all of our podcasts published at SoundCloud under Gary Brightman or on YouTube under Live at Vibe HK or follow the links from my website at vibehk.com. If you'd like to be interviewed for the weekly podcasts or have a local Lantau business you want mentioned, then please contact me at Vibe. A reminder that we sell record decks, both pre-loved and new Audio Technica decks, including a new Bluetooth deck, the AT-LP60XBT. We sell 7-inch and 12-inch vinyl singles, vinyl LPs, and a vast range of CDs, all in good condition and at reasonable prices. Finally, a reminder that Vibe is open seven days a week, every day of the year, from 12 noon until approximately 6.30 each evening. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks for listening to the 16th Vibe Book and Music Shop podcast called Vibrations. I'm Gary Brightman. You get my vibe? Can you imagine what this old island must have looked like to those Dutch sailors when they first saw it? Fresh green. Like a dream of a new world. They must have held their breath. Afraid it would disappear before they could touch it.